Hey, welcome to the Holy Shift Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host, and I'm so excited about today's guest. My guest today earned her PhD at Duke University. She teaches theology at Northern Seminary, and she is the author of several books, including Faithful, A Theology of Sex, Practicing Christian Doctrine, An Introduction to Thinking and Living Theologically, God the Spirit, Introducing Pneumatology and Wesleyan Ecumenical Perspective, and The Marks of His Wounds, Resurrection, Doctrine, and Gender Politics. She also is married to Brian, a United Methodist pastor. I assume he's still pastoring at this time. He is indeed. Great. And they've been married about 23 years and have four children and a few pets. Is that right? Couple dogs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I am speaking today to Dr. Beth Felker Jones, and it is my honor. Welcome, Dr. Jones. Glad to be with you. Well, I am so glad you are. How's the, how's the weather at Northern Seminary in Illinois. It is cold and not my favorite, but, um, you know, the spring will come, so. Yeah. Now, is uh, the North your home? Is that where you grew up? I grew up in the Midwest, so, yeah, okay. it, it, it Wait, does What, what feel state like home. did you grow up in? Indiana. Both my husband and I grew up in Indiana. Really? And then, uh, yeah. We were in, in North Carolina for grad school and then back to the Midwest. Oh, you know? wow. Well, I actually uh, spent years in Indiana. I grew up, uh, my middle school and high school years were in Indiana. Oh, where Cent- at? Yeah, Central Indiana, Greenfield, Indiana, Indianapolis area. I grew up in Greenfield, Indiana. No way. Not you gotta kidding. Be kidding. Really? Greenfield Central High School? That's where I graduated school. What <laughs> year did you graduate, may I ask? 94. Wow. I graduated in 87. Okay. So you were in middle school Small when I was in world. high school. Wow. wow. That I is had so funny. No idea. Yeah. That's where I grew up and uh, graduated high school there in 87 and and moved on. So you were you were probably um probably in 8th grade maybe something like that, seventh, eighth grade when I graduated. So wow, how funny is that? We found that out here. Well, anyway, yeah. So I'm kind of familiar somewhat with the Midwest and the snow and all that. So you're, you're somewhat close to home being there in Illinois. So how's, how's this semester of uh, college and seminary going for your students? Going great. We are on quarters at Northern. So uh, we're just a few weeks into our new term and uh, I'm teaching theology two this term, which is grand fun. Uh, Really enjoying working with uh, students, many of whom who are pastoring right now, yeah. which makes for fun conversations. And, oh, I'm sure it does. Uh, yeah, great stuff. How long have you been a professor in, in a seminary? So this is my first year at Northern Seminary. Uh, before that, I was at Wheaton College for 13 years, mm-hmm. where I primarily taught undergrads, but some grad students as well. Yeah. Um, and I was feeling a calling to to be closer to direct church uh, wow. education, and I yeah. uh, made the move to Northern this this last summer. Well, that's great. And I'm sure you're enjoying it. I really Northern. am. Great, yeah, that's great. great colleagues, great students, great mission. So, yeah. yeah. I, uh, I've i actually thought about going back and, and if, I, if I was going to go back and get another you know degree in seminary, Northern would probably be one of the top choices I have. So it's a great school. A lot of great professors there and I think we're choice. a unique place and God yeah. is up to some great things uh, in, the, in the place. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I want to go through uh, a couple of your books and just kind of ask you some questions and get your perspective. And I certainly um, highly value your view on a lot of different things. And I really enjoyed a couple of the books that you've written and put out and just kind of dived into them and got some stuff here. The first book I want to go through a little bit with you, can't go through all of this, obviously all of it, is Faithful. It's called Faithful, A Theology of Sex. And for audience members unfamiliar with this book, Dr. Jones wrote this, I believe in 2015. It's a, uh, yeah, it came out around that time and it's a brief book. It's easy to read. And I think it's a great addition 
to the conversation about sexuality. In fact, our student pastor, Preston Waller, uh, had this book along with probably five or six others in a seminary class he was taking. And this was the smallest and easiest to read and digest of all the books he had. And it just condenses down, I think, some some really important um, subjects in, a, in an easy to, to read and understand uh, perspective. So those listening, uh, if you're not familiar with Dr. Jones, please pick the book up. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it in probably a, some local bookstores. And I think you're going to walk away. I know you will. If you read the book, you will walk away, not only learning something, but you'll also walk away with some excellent uh, uh, talking points. So it's good. All right. I want, I want to ask you some questions about it. Okay. And get sure your perspective. Uh, first of all, you, you mentioned one of your hopes for the book is that it would serve as an antidote to some of the poison that has seeped into the Christian sexual morality. So my question to you is, what do you see as some of the poison that has seeped into uh, the sexual morals of, of our nation right now? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's there's a lot uh, that can be said here, but I think particularly in conversations in many Christian circles, um, I hear sexual ethics or sexual morality discussed as almost an all or nothing kind of issue or as a purely legalistic kind of issue and not a gospel issue and an issue that's about who God is. Um, So many Christians right now um, are, I think, rightfully reacting against some of the not helpful ways the church taught sexuality in the last few decades. Um, And I'm all for that conversation. But sometimes the reaction then is to throw out sexual ethics altogether, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, As though uh, the very idea were necessarily hurtful. Um, I think Christian sexual ethics are not hurtful, but life-giving, and we need to to restore that life-givingness. I also think that uh, where we are as a culture right now, uh, many of our discussions about sexual ethics are in deeply contested areas, um, which has left us uh, as a church not talking very much about basic truths about sexuality, right? Um, And so in the book, I wanted to provide a sort of basic positive theology of sexuality um, without diving into some of those more controversial areas as much. Uh, I think that's a foundation we need before we could have those other discussions. Yeah. Well, you you did a great job with it. And and I'm absolutely, you know, I'm a local pastor, so I'm dealing with, you know, couples and counseling and a lot of our students going through different, you know, going through high school and beginning into college, and they're hearing all kinds of messages regarding sexuality. And I think you condensed it down very well and and put some wonderful things to to take away from and and to talk through. And the the poison that has seeped in, I think part of it, and you you hit this in the book too, is just a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that in and of itself is some of the poison. You know, people don't know what to believe, and they've mm-hmm. heard one thing growing up, and then they hear something else. You know, and uh, it just gets uh, very confusing for them. Repeatedly throughout your book, you you say sex has to do with God. I think that's very interesting, which is, I I think, to a reasonably educated Christian isn't really a surprise, but our society and and even many in the churches has separated sex from God. Mm -hmm. So first of all, let me ask you this. What do you mean sex has to do with God? What, what, What do you mean by that? Well, as a Christian theologian, I think everything has to do with God. But sure. um, uh, what I mainly mean here is that uh, the sexual relationship in marriage is a major image in Scripture for the way God relates to God's people. 
Right. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, we have here an aspect of our life together as humans, uh, uh, our sexuality and, and our sexual relationships, um, that in some way is meant to be a reflection of who God is and how God relates to us. And as a reflection, uh, it can also be a witness to who God is um, and to uh, God's faithfulness to his own people. So that's what I'm really focused in on uh, is, is that image uh, where marriage um, and with it sexuality are compared to the relationship between God and Israel, the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, uh, it's an analogy, and so it's not perfect, of course, uh, yeah. but it gives us a window into the character of God and God's good hopes, God's good intentions for us as his people. Yeah, I don't think the average person in, in our nation would ever um, connect sex and God other than God gave everyone, you know, the, the, the good gift of sex and pretty much left it up to us to, to figure out what to do with it. Uh, I think you did. A or great sometimes job. you get the opposite. Um, sex is bad and it's always oh, bad. Sure. Right. Uh, yeah, you get that, that as well. And, uh, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, Dr. Jones, that's probably what I, the message I heard growing up, you know, in, in your traditional church is that it's, it's bad. It's, you know, keep it for marriage and we're not going to talk about it too much now. And if you, you, you actually address this point very well, uh, later on in, in the book is, and if you participate in it before marriage, somehow you're, you're dirty, you're impure, uh, you're broken. You know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with an illustration that has been used in a lot of youth groups, you know, years ago, I don't, I'm hopeful it's not being used today, but you know, they would have these people on the stage and, and, uh, you know, a person would give a, like a chocolate chip cookie or a rose or something you've seen sure, that yeah. and mm-hmm. it's passed down and by the time it gets to the end, it's all dirty. And then they say to the girls, especially the girls, you know, they say, well, see, the girls. yeah, see how this is all dirty. You know, who wants this cookie now you know, or who wants this rose now? And what a horrible message that, that sends. I mean, it, 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 it gives the impression that it's, that if you have sex before marriage or something like that, you're just a dirty person. And, uh, wow. You know, <laughs> sorry, my dog okay. is deciding to play. Uh, <laughs> that's hey. all right. I, uh, uh, I have of, a dog. Of course she picks is. this moment. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think you did an excellent job with just saying that is not true. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, sex is a gift from God. It's to be enjoyed. It's to be, you know, celebrated. And you're not impure if you made some decisions. That sex alone does not make you an impure person. Mm-hmm. And that that was an excellent point. Uh, yeah, sometimes people here. use the phrase purity culture, right, to describe yeah. the, the kind of teaching you're pointing it to it. I, I think it is going by the wayside, but I still talk to young people who have strongly received those kinds of messages. In, what, in let me church. ask you, what... In, what what do you think that does? Uh, that kind of let's, you know, let's, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, but almost make it so scary, you know, to get involved in sex before marriage and let's try to our best to warn them and scare yeah. them. And put these, what do you think that does to a person as they, when they eventually do get married or they become an adult? Yeah, and I'm sure so you see it, some of this with some of your, your college students. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it can uh, make it very difficult for, you know, healthy, happy married couples to enjoy the good gift of sexuality, right? Because they've internalized only these fear messages and shame messages about it. And again, I think often, especially for women, because um, uh, bad Christian teaching on sexuality is aimed at women disproportionately. Uh, Good Christian teaching isn't, uh, but but bad Christian teaching Why do you think that's true? Why women? I think it, it... 
is true of almost every culture through history. And I think it's a feature of life in a world of sin um, that women are treated as, um, as goods, right. As uh, uh, I mean, uh, consumer goods, they're treated as property. Um, And so sexual purity um, is seen in a woman as a kind of value add. (laughs) Um, Jesus undoes that radically, uh, making it clear that women are are humans and not property. But I think we've held on to that uh, sinful misunderstanding anyway. Um, And it's pretty deeply, pretty deeply in the water. You know, you, you, you bring that out in a subtle way that I think is, is great when you talk about how Paul, you know, mentions um, um, regarding how did you word? I'm trying to exact word of that, but basically that oh the 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 wife's body doesn't belong to her; it belongs to her husband. And no one would have would have kind of balked at that, even in that world. They would have been, yeah. of course, you know, a woman's body belongs to her. No husband. surprise, right? But then mm-hmm. he flips that around and says, "But a man's body also doesn't belong entirely to him; it belongs to the wife." That's the radical part of the gospel message, because that wasn't something that was taught or believed at that time. Is that yeah. is that pretty much correct? Absolutely. I think yeah. that's one of the most radical things in New Testament sexual ethics. Um, and uh, it radically changes the sinful hierarchical relationship between male and female into yeah. uh, a, a mutual relationship, right? For the good of, of both. It's, so in, in, it's crazy in, stuff. It yeah. is. It really is. And I mean, yeah. that was in, in some ways, Paul was elevating women at that point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He was saying that you also have the right to pleasure and to enjoyment and to be looked at as a human and to have your own desires and all these different things. You're not just to be used by a man and discarded. Yeah. Again, marriage becomes not a property arrangement where the wife is property, but a covenant uh, between image bearers. Yeah, that's great. Well, the popular message of our, of our time, you know, is just sex is just sex. I mean, come on, it's not that big of a deal. And Christians and churches make sexuality a huge deal because they want to, control people's passions and, you know, they want to put them in chains and they want to control them and make them fearful. What, what do you say to, to that kind of approach that we hear from society all the time, that the church just wants to control people? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not always wrong. Um, sometimes the church yeah. has really messed up here. Uh, but I think at its best, this is not what's going on with Christian sexual ethics. Um At its best, Christian sexual ethics are about people flourishing and telling the truth about who God is and and what God wants for us. It's about a healthy, happy, holy way of living um, uh, where people uh, can really find goods that that are not found in other ways of living. Um, I understand why people worry that Christians are overly focused on sex at the expense of other sins, for instance, right, which are uh, there in scripture. But I do think there's something special peculiar about sexuality, both sexual sin and sexual health, uh, which goes to the heart of what it means to be human. Um, Paul says, right, every other sin is outside the body. Um, And I I think that's really pointing to how important our bodies are, um, how important our bodily experiences are. And for many of us, uh, our own experiences of sexuality also go to that. We see, yeah, it it does really matter, right? It's something that you hold on to if you've uh, been sinned against. It's something that uh, you uh, aren't going to forget about uh, because it, it's it's so core to, to who we are. So I think at its best, Christian focus on sexuality is not a kind of 
weird puritanical obsession with sex, right? But um, it's a recognition that as human beings who are embodied, um, who have both souls and bodies, uh, the way we live our bodily lives, especially at the most intimate level, is going to really matter. Uh, It's going to really make a difference uh, for uh, our health and our flourishing and our ability to, you know, do good work in the world and and to love others well. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You know, I, as a pastor, I'm going to, you know, come at maybe a little different angle, or maybe I have a a certain uh, concern about this message, uh, maybe a little differently than just being in your world, in the academic world. But I I feel sometimes as a pastor that I'm just speaking to people who are, I don't mean the people of our church, I'm talking about society in general, just almost like the the little story of the boy that, you know, there's a, the dam and there's a little hole and he puts his finger in it. And, you know, how long are you going to be able to withhold the, the dam that's getting ready to break? And you almost just feel like someone, when you stand up and talk about sex in a sermon that, you know, it's just not landing well, because the, the message that our younger generation especially hears, I mean, almost every show they watch on Netflix or Amazon or HBO or whatever is just constantly glorifying sex and constantly saying, you know, do what you want with whomever you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody, you know, go for it. And then the church is over here, you know, kind of, you know, crying, crying wolf or something. And uh, I don't know, it's just sometimes it's discouraging to even wonder if you're even doing any good, you know, Mm -hmm. as a, as a local pastor trying to speak Mm -hmm. into that kind of culture. It's just a strong current today. It's very strong. There are two things that I hope maybe help with that. Uh, one is remembering and, and saying out loud, Christian sexual ethics are really strange. They're really countercultural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, they're yeah, so not what you that. expect. Yeah, I think it. so, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that was true you know, in the first century, and yeah. it's, it's true now. Um, and I also think it helps perhaps, uh, hopefully, to emphasize the fact that Christian sexual ethics flow out of a relationship uh, with God and Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. So the point is not to do things right and to make God happy with you. Uh, the point is that you're already right with God because of what Christ has done for mm-hmm. you, and then your life changes, right? Um, I think yeah. it's very easy for us to turn this into a, a piece of you know works righteousness, right? Do, do this a certain way. And it's hard for people even to hear that otherwise. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Hopefully, uh, you know, just emphasizing that the the order is different there um, might be helpful. It's wrong. Yeah. It's hard though. It's hard. It's uh, it's our world uh, thinks radically differently about yeah. sex. Um, yeah, I, I think your your fourth point there is is great. Just admit it. Just say, look, you know, when we're going to talk about Christian sexual ethics here, it, it is strange. It mm-hmm. is different because it's it, it's coming from a different starting point, you know, and you you emphasize very well in this very brief book. You still do an excellent job of just saying, look, you know, the, the human body is sacred and, and God made, you know, you and as a human being and sex is to be enjoyed within the context of honoring the body and honoring the sacredness of marriage. And, you know, it's just, it is strange because it comes from a different place. Mm-hmm. So it, it, mm-hmm. it's good. Well, one other question on that, then, then we'll move on. Uh, you spend a, a really good amount of time also discussing singleness, which I think mm-hmm. is excellent. I love how you elevate singleness and discourage people 
um, from implying marriage is somehow more fulfilling or a, or a better choice. And people do it very subtly when they look at someone who isn't married and say, Oh, you dating anybody right now? Or, uh, mm-hmm. when are you going to, when are you going to tie the knot, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever, almost implying that they're incomplete or mm-hmm. somehow they've got to get married to really enjoy the goods of life. Um, talk to us a little bit more about why you, you spent some time and bringing singleness into this book. This is something I've really heard from my college age students um, in a Christian community. They yeah. feel a huge pressure to marry, a huge pressure that marriage is what sort of turns you into an adult and, and so forth. Um, and it's also a very deep theme in scripture and in Christian tradition. Um, in fact, for much of Christian tradition, uh, singleness was held in such esteem uh, that it was considered almost better than marriage, right? Um, that gets reversed in the yeah. Protestant Reformation when the reformers want to say, there's not two kinds of Christians, like super monks and nuns and normal idiots down here. Yeah. We're all the same in Jesus, right? Yeah. Which I think is exactly the right move. But an unintended consequence is Protestants end up kind of elevating marriage then above singleness when earlier in Christian tradition, singleness had always been held as a special calling, right? Uh, for the sake of being able to devote one's life to other kinds of work, right? For, for those of us who are married, um, we have to devote a lot of our lives to the work of being married, which is, right. is great. Yeah. Uh, but if you're called uh, to do some other kinds of work that might not have room for that, you know, singleness is this, the special uh, calling. Um Paul, you know, uh, gives us this radical sexual ethic where in marriage, neither person's body is their own. But he also says he wishes we were all single like him mm-hmm. um, so yeah. that he, so That's that we right. would have more time for the gospel. Yeah. Um, and we really underemphasize that. So I think this also is important because in a society which says to be healthy and happy, you have to have sex. Mm-hmm. Um, Scripture and the Christian tradition say, actually, no, uh, celibate singleness can be a full, rich life, not a lonely life, a relational life. Right? And the church needs to do a better job of uh, being there for single people, uh, of including single people uh, in all of its ministries. And I think not segregating single people off into a kind of like yep. dating meeting yep. over here, yep. <laughs> but, right. but yeah. uh, affirming the fact that, you know, We're in different places and we can thrive in those places. And all of us are single for portions of our life. Um, Even if you spend many decades married, um, for many of us, there's an after. um, And for all of us, there's a before to that. And it would be, it it is strange uh, to suppose that the only really happy time uh, is the time when you're married. Yeah. And Jesus is single. That seems That's important right. too. That's right. Oh. Well, I, I, yeah, I think churches sometimes, and it probably comes from a good place, I guess, you know, almost trying to match make people all the time. You yeah. know, if you see this person single and this person single, you assume that they both want to be married and all you have to do is try to get them together. And I know someone who will be perfect for you. And again, it implies, you know, I want to help you get to the next level mm-hmm. because the next level is better than the one you're in right now. And it, it's just, a, it probably doesn't come from you know, obviously a bad place. But it's just because we don't understand the the sacredness and the beauty of being single. And I think, and I think right. that yeah. I think that was excellent. I think you did a great job with that. So thank you for that. Well, I want to move on to another book that I'm current unless you have something else you want no, to say. No, please, about go that. ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um I'm also reading another one of your books that I didn't mention at the front, and it's called Pandemic Prayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's it's another brief book. It's only like 80 or 90 pages. I like and brief I, books. Yeah. Well, I, I know you wrote this at the beginning of the pandemic, probably around March, April of 2020, right? When everything began to, to shut down. That's and it, right. it, it's filled with 
you know, desires and hopes and, and prayers for your family, for your neighbors, for uh, students. And interestingly, you, you bring in some of the spiritual great men and women of the past. You bring in Martin Luther, you bring in Julian of Norwich, and you know, you just do a, a great job of that. So one of my questions to you that, that I understand it, I think as a pastor, but I'd love for you to talk to our audience just a moment. What do you think, you know, these, these great men and women of the past who they don't know anything about the pandemic, you know, they don't know anything about what we're going through in 2021 and 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you, why did you bring in some of these great men and women into the book on the pandemic and praying and some of the things we're going through. Introduce mm-hmm. a couple mm-hmm. of them to to our audience and maybe tell us why they're important. Sure. Yeah. Well, I love the Christian tradition. I think it's deep and rich. And one of the most interesting teachings of Christianity is that we in the body of Christ are united across centuries, yeah. across continents, right? Uh, the only Christians who matter aren't just us here and now. Uh, it's, it's the whole body of Christ. Uh, C.S. Lewis says this great thing in uh, his introduction to a book by Athanasius, who's a early church father. He says, um, it's important to read old things so that you don't just read the blind spots of your own era, mm-hmm. but also the blind spots and the not blind spots of, of other eras. And I think that's right, right? We have yeah. we could learn from each other in the body of Christ across time. Um, Julian of Norwich or, or Martin Luther didn't experience COVID, um, but uh, every generation has experienced suffering. Um, and both of them actually experienced plague, right? Uh, yeah. a, a kind of pandemic. And so we can see here also how others in the past um, have reacted to suffering, have thought about it in terms of their relationships to God and their obligations to other human beings. Um, and there's great wisdom there. So yeah. Luther gives sort of straightforward advice about what to do if there's a deadly plague raging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's super practical. He's like, use medicine. Yeah. Take good precautions. Help the people who are sick. Um, yeah. it, it, it sounds almost, I'm not saying it very well, but it sounds almost yeah. like it could be right here, right now, right? That's right. Um, uh, and he, you can tell he's hearing people with some of the same fears that we hear right now, that he's hearing people with some of the same claims that we hear right now. For instance, he decries young people who decide to go have parties and spread the plague because they don't care about other people, right? Yeah. Uh, this is a conversation we're, we're having now a, as well. Um, so I just love the idea of expanding our community in the body of Christ um, beyond this century, this yeah. year. Um, well, that's very smart to do it that way because what you're you're doing is you're you know, uh, kind of a, awakening these these people of the past and saying, hey, look, you know, they they you know change the name, change the dates, change the names of the people who are in power, but really it's the same problem. You know, it's a human problem, and they didn't know what to do at that time exactly. They didn't know the, the what was going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. They they were doing the best they could with what they had. And let's dig up some of the wisdom that they gleaned and learned, and let's apply it to today. And I, I love that it bridges those centuries, like you said, and it fills in those gaps. So that, that's great. So if someone gets a chance to pick the book up, I think it can be very encouraging and uh, borrow some of the prayers and borrow some of the thoughts that that you put there. Well, you know, we're, we're moving now, uh, obviously, two years, approaching two years since you penned. Uh, that particular book. And None of us still, thought yeah, that would be the case, but we here we are. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. my, my son was actually traveling to uh, Texas 
uh, in March of 2020 when everything began to shut down and he was moving to a church there as a student pastor. And he called me on the phone and said, Hey, you know about this coronavirus? And I was like, yeah, you know, it's no big deal. You know, we'll get through this quickly, like all the other things. And, and here we are, you know, two years later, still, still talking about it. People are still getting sick. People are still dying. Uh, we still got masks and vaccines. We still don't know what to do as far as I can tell, yeah. right? We're, mudd- we're muddling through. That's yeah. right. So mm-hmm. a question I have for you is look, kind of looking back over two years and writing that book, what, what, what is something that you've learned in this season? What's your family learned in this season? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what maybe, maybe do you see it differently in 2022, March of 2022 than you did at that time? Just give us some wisdom, something yeah. that you've kind of gleaned. Certainly, if you told me at that time that we'd still be dealing with this two years later, I think I would have fallen into despair. Um, Just a few weeks seemed overwhelming and and undoable. Um, And there is not despair, right? The Lord is with us, and I can see the Lord's faithfulness over those years. At the same time, I'm not sure we're ready to say what we've learned. Um, I really am just so deeply aware of the huge human cost um, uh, in obvious ways, right? Sickness and death, but in in less obvious ways too. I mean, I talk to so many teachers and medical professionals and pastors who are are just burnt out from yeah. the hard the hard work of of serving people in these hard times. And and I think we haven't really wrestled with that yet, and we still need to do so. Um, the thing I'm trying to learn most, though, and I think I was learning even then and continue to learn, um, is that the Lord gives us enough for today. Um, and we really have to live with daily bread, um, not hoarding up our manna for the future, uh, but but trusting that we have what we need to get through today. Um, and when we look at what has become a longer range for this for this uh, period of, of difficulty, um, I have only been able to get through it personally a day at a time. And I, I, I think um, uh, trying to, to trust that, to rely on it uh, is an ongoing spiritual lesson yeah. for me, right? Yeah. The Lord's mercies are new every morning um, yeah. and they're enough uh, yeah. for each day. Yeah. That is so true. Uh, what, do you, what do you want to say to, you know, to some of the young kids, uh, you know, second and third grade maybe, or, um, They've not had one day of school, you know, that this has not been hanging over them. Or I think about, you know, the seniors in high school or juniors and everything's been affected by it. Their whole high school experience. Yeah, I have high school and and college kids myself. And yeah, yeah, what what, what do you say to encourage them? I think I almost want to say more to adults. Okay. Let's recognize how hard this has been. Uh, let's let's not pretend uh, that there are no effects on our kids, yeah. and let's do what we can to to care for them now. Um, I think kids are flexible, right? Um, I noticed my kids don't mind wearing masks to school at all; it just doesn't bother mm. them, right? They're, mm. they're used to doing what they're told at school. They're used to having different rules. Uh, we adults are less flexible; it's it's yeah, harder uh, for us. But we can see as adults the toll it's taking on our our, our kids, and I think we're going to have to do a lot of community work, a lot of a lot of body of Christ work, um, to continue to care for each other in the years to come, uh, and to help kids who've who felt losses. Right? I was just yeah. talking yesterday to a kindergarten teacher, and she said, um, "My kids are preschoolers. Right? They've literally never been in a classroom before. They don't know how to sit still. They don't know how yeah. to raise a hand. Um, and so we're going to have to we're going to have to deal with that reality. Yeah. And I think that's that's where I am. Um, we have to deal with the reality of where we are. Yeah. Yeah. Does, does uh, it bothers me? I'll just tell you that at first. And then I'll ask you, it bothers me 
some of the way the church has responded to this. And mm-hmm. they've, they've really not, I don't think, I think we could have done a much better job um, bringing people together rather than dividing. You know, mm-hmm. I see so much, I don't know if it, how it is where you are and the churches you're in there, but I see so much division with people who wear masks and people who won't wear masks and yeah. the, the anti-vaxxers versus the, the people who are scared to death and do everything the government tells them to do. So, you know, yeah. and it, it really has become divisive and I think we could have done a better job uh, mm-hmm. with that. So what, how, how do you feel yeah. about that? What do you see with that? It division? worries me deeply. Um, yeah. You know, that divisiveness and polarization uh, is a feature of our time, not yeah. just in terms of the pandemic, but in other ways as well, right? Yeah. Uh, the politicizing of the pandemic, but of everything, the, the politicizing even of Christianity. Um, uh, I, I've been struck by how much my own kids even are tempted to equate uh, their faith positions and their political positions mm. in ways that are I would not think are healthy, right? But I think yeah. it's a, a feature of the time we're in. Um, and I don't have the answers, but I I pray uh, that we move forward listening to each other, being gracious to each other, yeah. um, remembering that the Church of Jesus Christ is not the same thing as a nation or a political party. Um, and uh, just going easy. I don't know. There's so much dogmatism, uh, mm-hmm. so much surety that people are right, uh, whether they're in the always wear a mask for the rest of my life camp or the I would never get vaccinated yep. or I would die camp. Yep. Um, I, I just I don't know that there's reason for such surety <laughs> um, yeah, in, in right. any way. Um, and uh, I I think we need we need charity and, and care and gentleness uh, with one another. Those don't seem to be things that sell very well right now. Um, but the Lord is with us. Yeah, so. he is. Absolutely. Well, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on just a couple of kind of current trends uh, that are going on and just kind of get your, your thoughts on this. One is, is the what I call and is referred to as the, the deconstruction movement across our nation. You know, I know you spend a large amount of time with young men and women in college. Now, of course, most of them are are there for obviously, you know, ministry training. So they're going to have a faith and and be strong in, in their faith. But I would imagine some of them are still affected by it. And mm-hmm. then we look across the nation and there's a huge exit from from local churches. Um throwing their hands up saying I'm done with it you know what 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 do, what do you think is going on I guess maybe that's mm-hmm. just I know that's a big question but just give a, a perspective a little bit of yeah. what you think is happening in our nation right now in my work with younger people I'm just really struck that it is a very hard time and place to be a Christian yeah. um, and I think we're gonna have to be clear about what is Christian and what is pretending to be Christian right again maybe conflation of church with nation is not yeah. Christian um, uh, and on one hand, I think deconstruction can or could be a positive thing. People mean different things by the sure, word, right? But sure. but in some ways, it reminds me of you know a phrase from the 16th century, Reformation, mm-hmm. right? Um, the Protestant reformers uh, saw that the church was in a really bad place in lots of ways, and they wanted to reform it to make yeah. it new. Um, I think some p- people right now are seeing that the church or some of the pieces of the church have been in a really bad place and are need in need of being critiqued. Um, I don't want us to stop with deconstruction, though. Uh, we have to to reconstruct, right? Yeah. Uh, the work of Christian faith is always in every time and place. Uh, to think about how the gospel is new in this context, while it's also the same as it's always been, right? Yeah. Uh, to think about uh, what faithfulness looks like in this context. And so um, as a teacher, I want to help people build 
constructive, faithful theology, constructive, faithful ways of, of living in this world and not just critique the things that have gone wrong. Though that absolutely needs to happen, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. Sin should be called sin. Um, error should should be called error. And, you know, the church has a lot to answer for in terms of abuse, um, in terms of power mongering, um, yeah. in terms of just bad theology, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Like prosperity gospel or... Um, yeah. uh, uh, hierarchical leadership that, uh, you know, ask for authoritarian control. Yep. Uh, all, all these things should be deconstructed. Um, uh, I hope people find soft places to land. Um, and I think it's interesting that many people who um, would use the word deconstruction to talk about their Christianity and might even say they're not Christians anymore, remain really invested in the conversation, right? Um, which suggest to me that there's still something about God. There's still something yeah. about uh, the life God offers us that that they don't want to let go of and that, that continues to um, just poke at them maybe, yeah. Uh, yeah. right? Uh, people, A lot of people don't just leave Christianity and go do something else. Um, they keep talking about how bad it was. Um, and again, if it was bad, absolutely, uh, let's, let's do so. Um, but I believe with all my heart uh, that the truth of Christian faith is is not these hurtful things. Um, it's beauty and truth and goodness uh, and the goodness of God. And uh, so as a, as a teacher um, and as somebody who helps uh, other people become uh, leaders in the church, I hope that uh, we are in a space where we can do some of that work, the rebuilding work, reforming work, yeah. um, and not just work of tearing down. Yeah. What, what, what do you say to the, um, you know, the young 25 year old or so who, who grew up in church and, you know, they, some famous person said that, you know, I used to be a Christian. I no longer am. And, you know, they've come out with their big story and this 25 year old feels like, you know, they've discovered something new that the church has never uncovered before. And, you know, they're finally coming to terms with all of this is just not based in reality. And they're just kind of, walking away, you know, they're just, uh, what, what, if you had them in, in front of you, maybe what, what's something you would say to them that mm -hmm. would maybe encourage them or, or help bring them maybe, you know, to some other thoughts that they need to consider? One thing that I sometimes do say is what if Christianity isn't what you think it is? Um, yeah. uh, what if it's different and truer and more beautiful than this thing that you're rightly seeing is ugly and, and right. problematic. Um, and what if uh, you can get a look at that truth and beauty of the Christian faith and then think about it from, from there? Um, mm. uh, I remain optimistic that when that truth and beauty is proclaimed, witnessed to, taught, um, that people will respond uh, you know, to, to the goodness of God. Um, there are things that are developmental and normal about being 25. Um, yeah. I think 25-year-olds are always going to think they're discovering things for the first time. And, and with that comes an energy and um, maybe even a holy fire for reformation, um, yeah. which can be a good thing. Um, and we need each other across the generations, right? We need older people with uh, a little bit different perspective, uh, yeah. as well as that, that earnestness and energy uh, from the young. So I think... Um, you know, in my years of working with younger people, as I've gotten older each year, <laughs> um, uh, I've I feel like the Lord has taught me 
not to try to change them from being who they are, 20 year olds, right? Um, But to see the beauty of that stage of development um, and to nurture the good in where they are in that stage. Yeah. Yeah. You Um, know, one one thing I I find helpful, um, I I would, I, I need to work on it so I can do a better job at communicating it, but it's just showing that I don't know of any really argument today that anybody has against scripture or against God or the reality of, of, of spirituality that hasn't been addressed multiple times throughout the years. Yeah. And I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, I remember prior to the seminary and really, you know, jumping into some, some deep teachings and learnings, I thought, you know, I'd read something, you know, again, oh my goodness, you know, they've uncovered something that, you know, that this is a real hard argument against, you know, the faith. And then I realized that, you know, this was something literally 800 years ago they dealt with. And there's, you know, 50 books written to, to, to address this particular issue. And there, there just isn't anything new under the sun. And it isn't to I guess that conversation concerns, across centuries, right, yeah, can be really exactly. something we learn from. I think yeah. we probably need more than ever a return to some of the richness of, of the faith and, mm-hmm. and digging up some of these mm-hmm. books because – you know, I don't want to go off on this too much, but, you know, you pick up your average Christian pop book today and you read it. And then you look back at some of the books that were written, you know, a hundred years ago or a couple hundred years ago, and you compare the, the books and, and one is just, I mean, the new, the books off many of them today that are popular, they're just so thin and they're just so light and they really do not include a lot of deep thinking or theology. Then you look back at the one, you know, a hundred years ago or so, not even that far back. And it's just so rich. Now there's wonderful books being produced today, but a lot of times they're just not, people aren't reading them. They're just not Uh, sinking their teeth into it. um, You know, know, the, the, um, siren song of what will sell um, drives a lot of Christian publishing. Not all of Christian publishing. There's a lot of really great faithful stuff being done, but unfortunately sometimes, uh, wild opinions or wild personalities, um, or just kind of shallow stuff sells really well. And so that stuff gets published. Um, but there's better resources to be had out there. And yeah, I I think people are hungry for them. And Um, when you, when you get into some of those classics and you really read the good stuff that's out there, I mean, you're just amazed at how deep it is and how rich it is and how broad it is. And, and, it's just beautiful. I just wish the wish we could somehow figure out a way to get the church back into some of that kind of thinking and the depth of theology that has gone on through the history of the church. It's just beautiful. Some of that is really my heart as a teacher. I, can um, I can't resist dropping yeah. in a little plug for a program I'm starting at Northern. Sure, um, tell us. A doctorate in ministry uh, in doctrine and Mm. ministry. Um, So the program will give students, pastors, other Christian leaders, um, a chance to wed practical issues in their vocation, preaching, teaching, youth ministry, prison ministry, whatever, uh, with theology, uh, and to to work on a project uh, that brings uh, ministry together with theology and hopefully brings that good theology to the church uh, Mm. to build something constructive. So I'm really excited about it. I hope God will use it in in good ways. Is that starting this year? It will start in the fall. Applications are open. And so uh, feel free to take a look at Northern Seminary's website for info. That's that's awesome. Well, one more question, if you have just a few more minutes and then we'll we'll be done. you know, uh, the the pandemic and a lot of churches obviously going online and rushing to do the best that they can to meet people, you know, in their homes. And, and you know, we went through a, a period here at our local church where we shut down for seven months. 
we had no services at all and we mm-hmm. had multiple services here and you know it was hard i mean it was really hard trying mm-hmm. to go okay how do we you know how do we serve the people how do we communicate with them and we had some online stuff in the past but we needed to update things and get things better and i'm saying all that to say you know there's a move now uh toward more people staying home mm-hmm. and churches are catering to that um I know there's a big move right now. I think it came out this past week or a couple of weeks ago or so about the the metaverse churches and you know the My students virtual, were talking to me about yeah, this last I'm week. Sure yeah, they are. Uh-huh. yeah. Yep. You know, the virtual, Avatar baptism. Apparently. That's right. Yeah, yeah. and uh-huh. virtual reality and and mm-hmm. you know you don't even have to go at all. You can walk basically walk in virtually to the church, find a seat virtually, uh, watch the sermon, watch the baptisms virtually. Every single thing is done virtually and you don't have to go. And I, and I know that obviously, you know, there's an argument for, you know, we have to reach people where they are and that's where people are. And they're already doing these things in so many other areas. So the church can, can take advantage of this and it'll quote unquote, reach people and souls and, and all these different things. And I'm certainly not asking you to, to tackle something that big, but I'm just curious from where you sit, you know, in a seminary and training, you know, people to go out and, and preach and teach and lead, you know, do you, do you think that's just bracing new technology, embracing new technology, or do you think there's, there's something deeper going on here? What, what's a thought or two you have on that? Yeah. Well, when I was talking about this with my students last week, we were working on the doctrine of Christology, what Christians believe about Jesus, right? Um, And what I told them I really most wanted from them was for them to think about how what we believe about Jesus connects to these questions. Uh, They might not come to all the same conclusions, uh, but uh, if they're trying to connect the good theology, the good biblical teaching uh, to the question, then I am happy as a teacher. Personally, I want to emphasize the importance of the body in the Christian life, right? Jesus came in the flesh, baptism and communion, uh, meet us with earthly things, water and bread and, and, and wine. Um, and I think uh, it's very important for us to be together in the body. The last few years have shown us how that's not always possible. Um, uh, maybe for a time for everybody, maybe there are people who, for whom it's never particularly possible. Right? We've always had shut-ins. We've sure. always had had people who are sick. And I think absolutely we want to be sensitive to that. But um, I think that just personally, I'm convinced because of Jesus in the flesh um, that our life together in the body has to be prioritized. Yeah. And it's not surprising that we don't always want to go, right? We don't want to get out of bed. We don't want to do it. Um, partly because we're really tired and really hurt. Again, going back to the damage of these last few years. And partly because life together in community is really, really hard. Um, uh, church is full of sinners, and it's going to be really, really hard. Uh, but we're called to live in that hardness together because it's what Jesus came to redeem. Um, so I'm not saying... Metaverse church is evil and should never yeah, happen. Sure. Though I'm happy to say, don't baptize an avatar. I'm fine with that. <laughs> uh, but I am saying uh, bodies matter here, and we need to think about that. And there are lots of goods to gathering as a body, especially maybe when it's hard, that we don't want to let go of. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, one of the concerns I have, and and you can speak to this, and maybe I'm off or or on 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 spot on, is you know, one of the beauties of, of the local church is that we are with people who are different than we are, yeah. you know, yeah. and we wait for one another and we hug people that we normally wouldn't maybe hug throughout our daily journey to work and school. And, and we, we worship maybe with a song that 
we're not necessarily familiar with or that we really necessarily like, but other people around us love it. And we're serving in that moment. Um, like you said, you know, actually tasting the bread and, and tasting the wine and feeling the water and, and also getting into the water that someone else just got out of, you know, it's, it's the mixing of, of imperfections and humanity and, and the smell and the taste and the touch and all of those things. Yeah. And, and one of the concerns I have- I think that's have, Jesus stuff right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One, of, one of the concerns I have, it's the incarnation, you know, mm-hmm. of, 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 of Christ. And one of the concerns I have, you know, is that we start looking at the things of, of, of the church as selective, almost like when you go to Netflix, what mood are you in? You know, so you yeah. choose a movie that yeah. matches your mood. And you don't ever have to watch the movies you don't like, and you can watch the other movies you love as many times as you want. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're choosing your own. And one of the concerns I have about, about this movement to online is just, we, we choose the songs we like. If we don't like that song, we'll just flip over to another church that's doing something we do like. And we just, I think overall, we become a little bit more divided and we begin to kind of surround ourselves with people who are like us, think like us, feel like us, vote like us, you know, and then we, I don't know, that's just a real concern. I, I think that yeah, the local I church totally breaks agree. that yeah. down and it, mm-hmm. the local church says, no, today you're going to sing a song that our worship pastor selected, not the one that you selected. You know, you're going to hear a sermon on some scriptures that you've never even thought about. You know, it's going to force you to work your way through a subject that, that our pastor has wrestled through and it's serving him. And then he has to serve you, you know, and baptizing you or loving you or praying with you. And he would have never even thought about you, but you came up to him at the end of the service and asked for prayer. So he's forced to get into your world. I think that, I don't know. I don't want to take over think, that. Yeah, no, it's the call just, outside of ourselves, right? Um, yeah. We're, as sinners, we're tempted to be selfish, to be, uh, as Martin Luther said, turned in on ourselves, right? Right. curled up yeah. towards yeah. ourselves. When the gospel directs us outside of ourselves for love of neighbor, love of the world, love of God. Um, and all of those physical things in yeah. church help with that turning out, yeah, right? Uh, there are so ways good. God can help us do that. Yeah, that's great. Well, Dr. Jones, it's been an honor to have you today. Thank you for taking the time. I know there's many other things you could be doing. Fun but, talking uh, with you. You're, you're sitting here talking to me. So I just want to encourage everyone again, go, go to your local uh, you know, I don't know if it's a local bookstore, but you certainly can go online and find uh, Dr. Jones's books uh, listed as Beth Falkner Jones, all three together, and you'll you'll find her material there. Um, she's got a lot of books. If you want to get into more in depth material, um, do you have a book you recommend that people get into in some of the subjects that we've talked about, the doctrine and things? Do you have um, one that? My book, Practicing Christian Doctrine, is yeah. um, an overview of okay. historic good Christian theology. Um, It's not particularly my opinions. It's kind of what Christians have taught. Is that Um, a book that the average person can pick up and and, and read? I hope so. Many people tell me so, that it is accessible. Yeah. Um, I like to write clearly and and I hope that I've done so there. Yeah. Excellent. Well, you can find her books available, obviously, you know, uh, larger bookstores and also online. Um, you have a book in the making that you want to talk about or something? Um, I'm working up? on a couple things. A little book called Why I am Protestant, um, oh, which good. InterVarsity Press will publish. Yeah. Uh, that's a fun one. Um, and then longer term, I'm working on a book uh, that's a theology of conversion. Um, wow. So uh, fun stuff. Yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Well, thanks again uh, for being with us today. And I hope that the semester goes well. I hope you have some amazing students and you continue to learn and write and, and continue to enrich uh, the church. Many thanks. Blessings. Thank you very much.